वेलकम टू सिंटॉक सिन टॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द कॉज ऑफ प्रॉबेबिलिटी विल थिंक अबाउट द कॉज ऑफ प्रॉबेबिलिटी एज वेल एज प्रॉबेबिलिटी इन इज कॉजेज इज प्रॉबेबिलिटी एन ऑब्जेक्टिव प्रॉपर्टी ऑफ नेचर और इज इट अ मेजर ऑफ अर इग्नोरेंस डू वी रिक्वायर रैंडमनेस वाई इज देयर अ टेंडेंसी टूवर्ड स्टेबिलिटी इन फिजिकल एबस्ट्रैक्ट एंड सोशल रेलम्स How can we establish irrefutably that say smoking indeed causes cancer? Why is the law of large numbers largely true? What can be considered as evidence for causation? Why is probability everywhere? Are we doomed to live with probability forever? And can perfect probability be constructed? And what is the very long-term future of randomness? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Jay Kumar Radhakrishnan. He is a theoretical computer scientist at TIFR Mumbai, and is interested in the application of probabilistic and information theoretic ideas in discrete mathematics. Professor Rahul Roy, who is a probabilist at ISI in New Delhi, he works on problems that arise in physics. and is also interested in the history of mathematics and dr federica russo was a philosopher of science in university of amsterdam the netherlands she is interested in the social and biomedical sciences So Jay Kumar, maybe we set the ball rolling with you um, with the question that would have been asked a million times before: Is probability a property of nature, or it's just our ignorance? Uh, yeah. So I think this is a philosophical question, and I don't think we can say with certainty mm-hmm. what it is. But my own uh, instinct is that it is probably. an outcome of our ignorance that is the way we model nature mm-hmm. uh, is through laws and i think in most cases uh, if we knew the initial conditions accurately mm-hmm. in principle we would know the outcome but it is our ignorance of the initial conditions which leads us to model the situation as probability and somehow profit from our modeling there are uh, parts of physics which are inherently probabilistic that is uh, say quantum mechanics yeah but uh, i think we don't right now have a complete theory of quantum mechanics which takes the whole universe into account at the same time mm-hmm. but one could argue in principle that perhaps probability really doesn't exist if you had all data with you mm mm-hmm. Rahul, does that make sense to you? Well, I don't think I'll agree with uh, Jay Kumar because if you just think of you know us as human beings, yeah, you know my father had given three hundred million or more sperms for mm. one egg mm. in my mother's fallopian tube, mm. and one of these uh, you know three three to six hundred million mm. actually hatched to that- produce me. Whereas you know, and can you see the so the the probability that I am born is actually one out of six hundred million in the in the worst case, and one out of three hundred million in the best case. You know, I can win a lottery with that uh, amount of uh, probability, and I don't think that you know one can model which uh, spermatozoa is going to uh, fertilize, and there's just one single mature egg. But aren't we aren't we <coughs> conflating the issue of determinism versus probability a little bit over there? Um, the chance of something happening may be very very low. Um, no, but in but in the, what I want to say is that you know so therefore even if we knew uh, you know where all these three hundred million 
sperm sewer in mm. this small little space. Mm. I don't think we could really say which one of them would have won the race. So in that sense, it's not determinism. I I really want to think of it as probability mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's a very you know all of us live in a prob in a probability setup which is just consists of rare events. Right. Okay, events which are very rare to occur. So are there physical phenomena that were earlier thought to be probabilistic? I, probability itself is not a very old notion; just goes back a few centuries. But is but are actually not probabilistic. Yeah. So, but you if know, you so, had all the information, that in a way that's what Jake. Yeah. So, is so you know, so you know, the the way we say, for example, when you toss a coin, if you knew air pressure, if you knew the force with which you we throw yeah, the it up, God then argument, yeah. then then of course you know we would know exactly whether it's heads or tails. But you know, those are the physical. Forces and nature, as Jay Kumar said, if you knew all the laws of nature. But I think there are also some things which, and this is what the the example of, you know, uh, uh, me being born yep. in in this form uh, yep. uh, is really far more probabilistic. And I don't think we would be anywhere close to understanding which of these six hundred million uh, will win and which won't. In that sense, so I think you know. Uh, There's a biological phenomena which is slightly different from the physical nature, and, and biological phenomena is also in nature. Sure. So in that sense, I would think that you know biology probably has a lot more randomness involved in it than, or, or maybe equally in physics. And uh, Jaykumar, <laughs> what 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 is pseudo randomness? I mean, are there things that s- seem to be random but are not? Yeah. So. Uh, pseudo randomness i mean formally comes up in computational complexity theory mm-hmm. so there are randomized algorithms that are designed and analyzed mm-hmm. assuming that there are true coins perfect coin tosses available yeah but you in the end have to run it using sources that are already there in the computer's memory yeah and one tries to make do with sources of randomness you know based on uh, various uh, you know disk access patterns or other things which we expect not to be correlated with the input and you manage to run your algorithms and get satisfactory results now there is a theory of how to model this admittedly imperfect sources of randomness and still show that the outcomes will be pretty close to what you would have ex- what you would expect from true sources of randomness so this second source of randomness which is imperfect is uh, referred to as pseudo random right yeah. right 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 is all probability the same I and mean, there there are probabilities which are more statistical in nature and what you may be dealing with federica in in work that you do Uh, is that more inductive? Is that an exercise of drawing conclusions? What is what is probability for you? Yeah, I I was uh, actually in two minds while I was uh, listening to the earlier uh, replies because there has been this debate also for the social sciences whether the phenomena are ultimately deterministic and the probability probability comes in because of our ignorance yeah. or whether. These are also processes that are inherently uh, chancy in some way. And uh, at some point I, I decided that that wasn't an interesting question because uh, even if we they were actually deterministic and we had perfect knowledge, I mean, uh, we, we would never get that far. So the probabilistic element seems why, to why be... Why do you say that? We would never get that far? I mean, you have Jack Kumar and other people working... Oh, I or... guess this has to do with uh, with the nature of the of the social world that changes so fast and so quickly, so and so widely that uh, by the time we would get uh, a full knowledge of a, of the dynamic of a given society, by that time probably it would have changed. You're constrained for time. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah. Okay. And so I I guess the interesting question is how to model. Processes that are in a probabilistic way and in a way that give us nonetheless information about, say, causal relations. Mm-hmm. So we have to live with that. But yeah, um, 
I, it's a way of reasoning that I actually uh, like and praise for what I be able to achieve in, in the field of the social sciences. So let's get to the working of it. How would it work? So you, you spoke about biomedical um, areas and how you work there. So if, if one were to think of cancer, for example, and you study a population. Yeah. And so I know it's today a truism that smoking causes cancer, but how do you get to that conclusion? Yeah, today this is, uh, this is a good example because we consider this as a truism today. But at the time, the relation was established in uh, some, sometime in the, in the 50s. And we had basically no knowledge of the biochemical mechanisms through which uh, uh, cigarette smoking causes cancer. It was by and large via statistical modeling and, and probabilistic reasoning that it was established. So the statistics got there first before biology. Yes, indeed. That's indeed. very interesting. Mm. Yeah, and it was through the comparison of different groups, smoker, no smoker, different um, quantities of smoking, different cancers, different types of populations, etc., that they could establish a relation that was stable enough. And this stability gave confidence into the causal relation. And was that a wow moment or it was a tentative sort of conclusion that lots of people were reaching um, individually? No, uh, probably not. That, that, that certainly wasn't a wow moment. It has been uh, very difficult to establish, especially because there were a lot of um, interests involved uh, from the um, companies that produced yep. the tobacco, etc. So no, it wasn't easy to establish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if we go to you, Rahul, what is the source of randomness? So you believe nature is intrinsically random in well, uh, large parts of it. No, so as I, I mean, I modified my statement about the tossing. Uh, yes, uh, if the we coin knew all the also, facts. If we knew all the facts, but I, I think as uh, Federica said, uh, we also not only forget the time. Do we? Can we also ever know all the facts? You know, the the air, the air pressure, the the uh, the height, you know, because the pressure and everything, we'll never know exactly. And even if we knew, it would be so local. You know, what would what is true in this room will not be just outside the room then. Yeah. So 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 even so it's if not we, a general knowledge. It would exactly. be a highly localized sort exactly. of exactly. Mm, so mm. even if we knew, I mean, it would it would really not. It's it's like you know, uh, when when I say that my your blood pressure is eighty by one twenty, okay. So, Nobody's probably blood pressure is eighty one twenty. It's it's uh, <laughs> you know that's that's the average which is supposed to be good blood pressure mm. average. Mm. But you know all of us have our our basic blood uh, blood pressure levels should be different, right? So I think you know it is it is a bit of that. You know we want to have an average thing which should be valid here as well as outside, and the only way we can do that is through probability rather than calculating all the different parameters in this room. Interesting. And are we touching upon this notion of hardness in a way? Yeah? So, yeah, so I would like to sort of champion the cause of computation in yes. the midst of... Uh, so, what he meant by not being able to know all the initial conditions. So, I yeah. still am partial to my initial assertion yes. that uh, in principle... I mean, unless there are physical laws which say that there is probability, for example, quantum mechanics. Yeah. But if otherwise, if we knew every parameter to the last decimal, then in principle, we can determine which sperm is going to fertilize. That is sure. the way I'm thinking about it. Sure. But the question is, first of all, can this data be collected? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we have enough devices to collect this data? Yeah. The second thing is, once this data is collected, can we even analyze it? Yeah. That is, what is the computation involved, even if we trust our laws as we know them today? Okay. And it is plausible that the laws are such that the computation is going to be just exorbitant in energy or various other resources. So, but perforce, we are limited to modeling what's going to happen as probabilities and developing a calculus of probabilities to derive conclusions. Yeah. And then we are go forced ahead. into it almost. We are forced into it because we are not able to gather all the information. So at that point, perhaps it becomes irrelevant why we have probability. Is it true that the world is deterministic? Well, at a philosophical level, it might be an interesting question. Mm. But 
if we are to analyze data and you know form conclusions we have to do it in a probabilistic way when we don't have full information for two Jack, reasons jacobar there's a hardness and there's hardness right so yeah. i mean are there realms where one has been able to get a meaningful amount of data and the probability question is out of the window are there realms within um physical systems computational systems so i think as computation is increasing say i can't pinpoint a specific example sure but say in natural language processing or various things mm. uh, things that were done using randomized algorithms used to learn things and then now with increasing computation power uh, you are able to analyze the same thing much more yeah and then uh, get conclusions which uh, are uh, much more reliable okay than we could before where we were just left to probability yeah so are most of the algorithms which are under deployment across the world on various systems that deal with big data are they all mostly randomized algorithms they rely heavily on sampling right okay and sampling means you have a large amount of data and you try to conclude something based on picking a small sample i mean this is uh, i mean when you have elections and you try to predict them you do the same thing and that is because your data is too large and you try to how clever is that how clever is this notion of sampling rahul was that a big move when yeah, one I came mean, up with that it really you know it comes down to what you started from it sampling is comes from the law of averages yeah uh, right so if i were to in an unbiased fashion pick uh, people in let's say in any let's say in bihar the the, the sure. place there if i were in an unbiased fashion if i could pick then i would actually on the basis of the sample i would predict without any notion of swing factors or anything which are big things in on television nowadays an unbiased uh, sample is supposed to give you the average very very good you know and uh, and so that comes from the law of averages And why? Why is law of large numbers true? It's you know it's it's one of those things which is in like in one of your episodes earlier. It's really common knowledge which later got formalized. Right. If if I toss a coin fifty times, you will never get twenty five heads and twenty five tails exactly. You will get you know between twenty twenty two and twenty eight. Okay, and so the margin of error would be let's say a four out of a five out of fifty. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so one tenth but if i were to do it 500 times or 5000 times the margin of error would not be one tenth you know five and 5000 times you know one tenth of that means 500 uh, uh, this way that way and so is it surprising to you that law of large numbers is true does it surprise you it doesn't actually i think it's you know it it is it would be something like uh, as primitive as, as pythagoras theorem if somebody were to observe when you, if you if you were doing land measurement Yeah. For example, you would you know you'd come up with Pythagoras theorem on your own. You wouldn't need Pythagoras. You <laughs> you wouldn't probably know root two, but you'd come up with the Pythagoras. In that sense, you know you the formalization you would, follows the intuition. Would, yeah, and of course, you know the finally you know putting it in mathematics, that's a different uh, uh, challenge. Right. But I would think you know as a, as something which people would observe and say, okay, yeah, uh, this is. Does it work for you, Federica? Law of large numbers. Does it work in the realms you study? There was something else that I thought was interesting, uh, which is uh, um, how we are exploiting the sampling to to get information about a large enough uh, population yeah. under the assumption that we cannot use all the data because we cannot collect all of them. And this was uh, a key moment in social science. Mm-hmm. And now, with uh, with the big data movement, it looks like we are going the other way around. With the fact that we can collect them so easily, we don't need the sampling anymore. It sounds something like. But that. our results from I mean, if you have a larger sample, the results would be superior. Yes. Well, that 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 is the assumption. Is there a problem with big data? No. It's well. The, there is not a problem with big data uh, per se but there is uh, this uh, how can i say that um 
Sometimes I get the feeling that they, they, it looks like they want to recover some form of determinism from the back door because they can analyze <laughs> much more data. So we, we knew we couldn't force. get the full information. That's why we sample. And then because we can get much more data than we could before, then the sampling uh, is not necessary and we can get the full information just from the data. End of it. Is sampling an art? Well, in sampling, we are well aware of the limitations of the potentialities, but also of the limitations. But are, are there some who are better at sampling than the others? Oh, I, I, I don't yeah. like to put it in, the, in, in this way. I think we, there is still to be established whether one is better than, than the other. I think we are just trying to do different things in order to gather information about the world. Right, so. right, right, right. Interesting. And, and clearly the social systems are non-deterministic. You, you would say that. Oh, the, this would, this makes an ontological claim that I I'm not prepared to make, but I'm prepared to make a, the epistemological claim that uh, we cannot decide it at least not not now, and that's why probability remains uh, a key element, a key tool in order to gather knowledge of the social. It's interesting, and and in the sense in which uh, is all probability statistical? Let's go back to that question, Rahul. Uh, see, I mean, if are, you if you have phenomena where you don't have lots of data points, is is yeah, probability so at a loss to say I anything think, interesting? I think I think probability arose because of statistics and it's it's and the need to formalize many of the things in statistics. For example, in the sampling, if you want to talk about how much error is there, you should you should not not only give a figure, but you should also say okay. This is the margin of error. So, so probability arose to, to uh, handle that. But lately what's happening also is that many students of physics, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the electrons and all these things, the spin-ups and spin-downs are being modeled through, through probability. Mm -hmm. so, so there are, uh, there are uh, students of mathematics who through physics are learning probability. So they just lose out that, that, that side of statistics. Mm. Whereas, you know, I come from the other direction. I come from statistics to the probability direction. And then, you know, learn other things. Uh, maybe uh, uh, Jay Kumar has come not through statistics, but through uh, computer science and other things. So not without the statistical part of it. But yeah, I think, you know, now, in now what is happening is that both uh, of both these physics as well as statistics, the formalization is being done through probability. Yeah, so... To me, statistics is perhaps a way to test probability theory. If it, I mean, probability is... <laughs> to right. me, I mean, I can talk about probability of a single coin toss. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, my mathematics will work perfectly fine. At least the way probability, the mathematics is constructed doesn't require me to toss that coin again, ever. Right. To be able to say that the probability of that coin toss is half. Yeah. However... I mean, most, or at least in uh, like the law of large numbers and other places, there are many conclusions that are uh, derived from the basic formalism of probability, mm -hmm. which apply to tossing the same coin many times. Okay, And if your original theory was wrong, the predicted observations will be terribly wrong. And... That is how you try to see whether a particular situation is modeled accurately by probability theory. To me, it seems like probability theory is a mathematical model which fits things very often. We have perhaps different intuitions or different feelings as to why probability theory should fit a given situation. But once you accept that, I think there is not that much debate about how to carry out the calculus of probability. Right, right. And you know, a coin toss is a relatively simple example, but are there other domains where you look at the data and, I mean, if, if you had data about lots of coin tosses, you would be able to say whether the coin is fair or not fair. And you Which reminds me, you know, Feller, one of the biggest probabilists, had said that if a probability question cannot be reduced to a coin toss, then it's not a probability question. <laughs> 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 but are there, are there other systems where you look at the data and say that there is something non-fair going on here? Yes, I mean, you can, uh, for example, in Netherlands, you know, there was a, a, a scandal around 20 years ago. There was a, a, there was a casino mm -hmm. and, uh, and, a, and a statistician was employed by the government 
to check whether so there's a limit of the profit margin which you can make. So right. to make it biased, there's a limit. Was it over biased? Was it biased beyond what was the limit? And uh, this statistician found that it is indeed true that it was uh, biased in favor of the owners. And so the, the, the state and the law came down heavily on that casino. Uh, I don't remember the name of this thing, but this was around 20 years ago when this happened. Sure, okay. sure. So, so you can also detect, in fact, one of the big things in, in industrial production is to determine outliers, you know, whether this pencil which I have yeah. has lead or not, you know, so you know, the statistical quality control detects anomalies. So it, it, it doesn't detect what is the average, but what is way beyond the average, the three sigma limits and all these things which we talk about. Interesting. And why don't you talk about distribution curves? So, I mean, if, if we study phenomena which have just heads or tails, they're relatively more binary, but there are phenomena which have a very wide range of possibilities. Are there, is most, are most phenomena, are they going to follow a normal distribution curves or there are other sorts of curves and other sorts of patterns underlying? There are other, these are so-called extremal distributions. There are some thing, uh, uh, distributions. Uh, again, uh, quoting in Netherlands, for example, a dike burst, which happened around 40 years ago, 50 years ago, mm -hmm. led to the study of this uh, extreme event, you know, rare events. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, because this dike burst and lots of people and property was, were damaged, uh, were killed and damaged. So what is the extreme event you don't want to you don't want to do it for the average because the average yeah. would mean that you know once every five years there'll be flooding yeah so you want to really take care of the extreme and in this average so in, that, things, in that instance what would you have done had all the math been done 40 years ago and you knew so what what would a probabilist do like you you predict the probability of the dike bursting tomorrow right so so you know so for example you know if the if output you, would still be a number you know what i'm asking right 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 so but uh, so what you know the normal distribution you know now that you say it you know how would it arise if if i has the same observation and i look at the average well not really the average you know the sum divided by root n or something like that then I would get something normal. But what you'd want to do now is that you want to look at, you have a sequence of uh, uh, random variables, you look at the maximum of them, you look at another sequence, you look at the maximum of them. So you look at the maximum over, uh, 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 you know, bunches of, of, of periods. And where does this maximum go? So, sorry, this is the maximum of, of the water level uh, so, or, per year. Or, or per year, let's say. And okay. you you do this over a lot of years. You just look at the maximum, not so the average. So then you draw a distribution curve only for the maximum. Maximum. And what that leads to something which is not a normal distribution. So what is that? Is that something else which is relatively standard or is just a more arbitrary yeah, so, sort so, of So these curve? are these are these double exponential whether, whether the distribution have very, uh, uh, well, it's really fat tail. So they are not really centered around the 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 origin, but it's really have a very fat tail. So what okay. would that do? So I mean, all right. So we do all of this, and then assuming the day before the dike burst, you've done all the math. Uh, what would you know? Is there something? Does it arm you with any knowledge that? Yeah, so, that is actionable. So you know, so what it what it guarantees is that you know uh, I wouldn't have a flooding once in every ten years. You know, it may be once uh, in three hundred years. You know, uh, if a tsunami comes, then nothing can, can stop it, probably. But uh, uh, but you know, it at least uh, you know uh, we instead of once every ten years, we go to once every two hundred years, maybe. You know, we of course we uh, cannot predict nature, so if a tsunami comes, it comes. Nothing can stop it. Right, right, right. Interesting. So, and yes, yeah, please. So th there's, I mean, coming back to the question of quality control, mm. there is this uh, great story of. Poincaré uh, visiting uh, his baker uh -huh. and his baker often gave him bread yep. which didn't weigh what he was being charged for. Yeah. <laughs> so he complained and got the authorities to you know, warn the baker. And then onwards, let's say that it was a two pound bread that he bought. So the baker always delivered him when he went to the shop a two pound bread or at least more than two pounds. Yeah. And then um, what Poincaré did was he plotted the weight of the bread he was receiving. And he noticed that 
it wasn't it didn't look like a normal curve which was at two it looked like a normal curve let's say which was at 1.9 and what the baker was doing was of all the breads he was making every day one or two would turn out to be more than 2 pound he would weigh that and keep it ready in his shop <laughs> for bonkare to visit and hand that bread over to him so the but maximum you, of the maximum yeah but using this curve the fact that the curve uh the form of the curve was such that indicated that the average sized bread that the baker was actually producing wasn't in the range beyond 2 but was to the left of 2 right he was able to take the baker back to the authorities again <laughs> <laughs> saying yes, that you did not change your measures at all you just waited for the right bread, bread to appear by error and you kept it for me that's very very interesting this is the volkswagen uh, it's, it's right? like the volkswagen uh, <laughs> doctoring of the devices yeah. Yeah, yeah that's very 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 interesting and what sorts of phenomena have a normal distribution curve and why 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 do some phenomena why do breads have a normal distribution curve um so, so think, in this yeah. context and some don't so this is well this is uh, called the central limit central. theorem and this is one example you know when uh, jay kumar wanted to say that you know probability is tested through the statistics i would rather go the other way around you know in statistics for example the tossing of a <laughs> coin mm. you know you want to see how much error so the sampling errors and that's when people discovered that there is this you know it's uh, if i look at the sum of let's say the 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 breads being produced every day or the any, any sample and and suitably normalize it then it uh, it follows a normal distribution now this is over a wide range of distribution it's not only tossing a coin it's also throwing a dice right it's also weighing of bread bread and on various things so you know it's it's like a you know and and so called invariance principle of the world mm-hmm. you know that uh, this happens all the time and of course uh, so in so, this case what is invariant the mean the that you know if if i look at the 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 sum and suitably normalized doesn't matter sum of what it could be the sum of the uh, the the bread the weights of the bread yeah. the number of heads the, the sum of the the number of heads in 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 tosses or the number of sixes appearing and throwing of a dice yeah. or any of these things any any literally any phenomena if you if you normalize properly which is normalized by root n where n is the number of you know, the number of bread you weigh etc then that follows a normal distribution so conceivably a single loaf of bread is the product of many many injections of particles yes or little sure. l- lumps of dough into that container yeah each lump of dough is not expect uh, is not i mean going to weigh the same amount yeah but it's going to be distributed around some mean Yeah. Okay, and pres- I mean, if I had to model a baker, yeah, I would think that he's going to dump in, throw in a certain number of lumps, yeah, so that it comes out to be around two pounds. But it's a sum of many little tiny lumps. Yeah. Each of them has a, its own distribution. So that in turn will have a normal distribution. That's right. when you have a sum of one example of the central limit theorem. When you have a sum of a large number of small quantities, each having a certain distribution. So in this case, the l- Each the smaller lumps in turn would also have a normal distribution no curve. they need not the point is not. each each smaller lump could even be two valued like a coin toss right yeah, each normal lump could be either say could you be know two valued or multi valued it, it could be, it could be exactly. just two valued nevertheless the sum will exhibit a curve Uh, isn't the, that beautiful that's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing that no matter what you take whether it was a three valued five valued seven valued but if you sum a large number of them it starts looking like that a bell curve that will work for a 100 valued variable yes 100 doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter 100 a continuous valued you know if you if you think of if you if you think of you know hundreds of or one each of them being a normal random variable then also it's true so it's a continuous spectrum but i think the more interesting thing about this this invariance principle which with jay kumar and we are talking about is that you can actually extend it beyond this this uh uh Uh, you know tossing a coin and and single valued or number or double valued think of the the path of the oxygen molecule in this room right 
Now, when you're when I'm talking about a path, you're thinking of continuous lines, right? Yeah. So I it can also be extended to this continuous lines. Yeah. So so now now my random variable is not taking a number. Yeah. It's taking a continuous function. Yeah. Okay. So we can also extend this, and uh, well, this is. Uh, so what are, what is invariant in this case in the case of so uh, it goes oxygen to molecules. it goes to something which is called the Brownian motion right okay and so this Brownian motion is just a, a, a central limit theorem but in a different space mm -hmm. and you can go beyond this space also and get uh, you know uh, so called invariance principles in various things okay and uh, so this is. Uh, uh, one of the one of the things which makes probability attractive, as well as you know, for statisticians and for physicists, uh, easy because once you get an invariance principle, you can apply it in a very very wide. Can, yeah, so the various processes which just uh, uh, you know satisfy this, an invariance principle is exactly what we want to understand. Does it? And obviously, it's much more elegant in the physical sort of realms. Does it resonate with you, Federica? Does is there some sort of invariance principle at work in would, the domains you study? Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same because um, the recent uh, literature in um, statistics uh, relying also on econometrics and applying this uh, also into the epidemiological domain uh, take uh, invariance to be a very important notion but I was trying to understand whether the notion of invariance that they, ha they have been developing corresponds to what you were describing mm -hmm. and what they mean by invariance is that uh, when, you, when you analyze correlations in a, a given data set you want certain parameters to be stable enough across subpopulations that you chose. Right. So to go back to the uh, smoking and, and cancer example, you would like to have this correlation between smoking and cancer to be stable or invariant across men and women, age groups, yes. or things like that. So that's the kind of invariance they they, um, they, they try to work out. Or uh, they perform an intervention as uh, they do, for instance, in social policy or public health. And again, they test for the invariance of the relationship under the intervention or such as what how would that work uh, Federica what what <laughs> what does an intervention mean well okay so um, an, an example is uh, they, they did a study in some uh, region of, of Finland to uh, try to change the dietary habits and see how uh, this would affect the cholesterol level right. and uh, they did this uh, campaign in one region and they had a different region which was uh, the, the control group Right. Uh, and then what happened was that basically the control uh, region also knew about this campaign and thought <laughs> that it was so clever so they also started changing their dietary habits so what, they, what happened at the end was that cholesterol level went down in both <laughs> regions so under the inter intervention um cholesterol level went down but they they cannot they couldn't really establish that it was a thanks to the intervention because of course uh, the other group uh, changed behavior as well so this would be an example of the intervention and what are some philosophical problems with this notion of causation we touched upon it a little bit a while ago oh um Oh, okay, so if we stay at the level of invariance, I don't think there is a problem with causation. I think it makes a perfect sense that you try to establish causal relations across different subpopulations. This makes a lot of sense because this is how you want to model a certain phenomenon. The problem I see is uh, when uh, people give too much emphasis or importance to the, the manipulation part uh, uh -huh. because it, it is not always possible to, to manipulate. So the case I, I gave about the... Uh, the cholesterol level and the, yep. and the dietary behavior, that's a, a designed intervention. It was done on purpose. But the question is, how do we form the right type of knowledge to perform such type of intervention? And presumably, there is a lot of epidemiology or sociology or other forms of social science that feeds this kind of knowledge without doing intervention, without making interventions, you see? So... Interventions are either something that you can use whenever you can. I mean, you wouldn't force people to smoke nowadays to test the causal relation. Right. So the intervention they did there, it was because they had the preliminary knowledge about the possible uh, good impact of changing dietary, uh, dietary behaviors, if you see what I mean. No, it's a very interesting question because the 
How do you study the effect of smoking on somebody when it can be confusing or conflating cause and effect Indeed. almost? Yeah, but I think this has to do with uh, um the the emphasis that has been given to uh experimentalism in general uh mm-hmm. which is of course uh, great if we could intervene on any factor we wanted to but but we simply can't. So I think the the, the interesting uh, part of the of modeling is how much information can we extract without uh intervening on a given system. Right, if, so that's we, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So if we could, it would be great. I force everyone to smoke, I force everyone to do this and that, and then I draw conclusions. And if I I design the experiment well enough, I should be pretty sure about the experimental conditions. But A, this is a very idealized situation, and yeah. B, mostly I cannot do that. So yeah. uh, that that's why I was so much interested in in the observational causal modeling, because to me this is where the real challenge lies. and are you able to look at data and say whether there's some fudging or lying going on there is it pretty oh, straightforward there is a, there is a huge literature on that uh, on that too uh, there are a lot of very good statistical methods designed to detect uh, cases of uh, where people manipulated the data or uh, yeah manufactured the data themselves so yes statistics is very useful also on uh, on on that side But, you know i am had little problems about this intervention mm. because in you know, 150 years ago mm. when eugenics was being talked about yeah so this uh, francis galton one of the proponents yeah. of darwin's mm. yeah, cousin or brother cousin or brother so you know he was one of the proponents of eugenics mm. and you know he actually through his data collection showed that uh, in, in you know the the further you are from a so called eminent person yeah. the less eminent you are so, okay yeah. and so you know so would we want intervention then you know so i have problems with this notion of intervention because it just at, goes at, by at the norms level. of the society at an ethical at, level yeah there is clear norms of the society at that present moment sure so you know so i, w- I wouldn't say that uh, at galton's time the, the you know the family planning association of india has also actually brought Marie Stopes <laughs> and everything came through that eugenics project. Sure. So, and is it? I mean, for example, if you devise lie detector tests or something, does does probability help there? Like, how is there a way to? I don't know. You know, if 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 I sin if if I am really a racist, I sincerely believe in superiority of a race. Mm. Would a lie detector test? I mean, can a cookless clan be caught on a lie detector test? I don't think and so. And they believe in that. Yeah, they believe in that. So, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Jaguar? No, no, I don't know how to phrase this question. So here is a person who actually believes something else, but yeah. is saying something that he doesn't believe in. Yes. And will a machine detect it? Yes, that's Now, the question. Yeah, and again, since I'm such a fundamentalist for physical processes, yeah. I believe that when your brain tries to make you utter something which is not embedded in what is called belief in your brain, the signals that it will emit will probably be different, perhaps, and they will be caught in this lie detector machine. So yeah, uh, yeah. So to me, it seems in a way there's uh, something like that at work when people do polygraph tests and so that's on. That's right. right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. And and is there are there very interesting applications in the areas of cryptography of of randomness and probability? No. So randomness is in a way based on. I mean, cryptography is based, based on, on yeah. I mean, randomness or making it appear to be random. Yeah. That is, here is a message that I sent. Uh, to Federica, yeah. and you're listening, yeah. and to you it should just appear as if it's noise. Yeah. Okay, that is true cryptography. Yeah. yeah. I should be able to send a message to her, which is intelligible to the two of us, but to a third party, it should be indistinguishable from a sequence of coin tosses which I'm just passing on to her. So what do you do? What What do you do conceptually? What so happens? So you don't there? do concept. Uh, you just. Uh, so there are, of course, we. uh could perhaps interact beforehand mm-hmm. and share a bunch of randomly tossed coins yeah and then when we are sending this message uh, when i have to send this message to her yeah i send it relative to this coin toss sequence okay so you so, know the code to begin yeah, with yeah so yeah. i know the code 
I somehow so yeah so by on seeing the sequence, you would not know. Yeah. So imagine that you had perhaps a circle, and one of the points in the circle is to be called zero. Right. Yeah. Which point it is, the two of us determine when we meet. That's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we move uh, away, and then we particular. I transmit a particular point in the circle to her. Now, relative to the original position, yeah, the distance is what she cares about. Right. But you don't know the original position that we agreed on. Right. So it appears to you like just a random point on the circle, whereas it has it ca- carries a much greater meaning to the two of us. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, I just this thought just occurred to me about pseudo randomness. Yes. So if so, the official definition of pseudo randomness is that a computationally limited agent should not be able to distinguish it from true randomness. Mm-hmm. Now, when Frederica talked about tests to determine if somebody is fudging data, yeah. Well, what if somebody is using pseudo random generators to fudge <laughs> the data? Then, by definition, it will not be, I mean, amenable to be caught by right. any tests right. because if it were to be caught, that means your pseudo random generator was. Uh, f- vulnerable was fragile. So let's 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 stick on that question, Federica. Yeah. What is a, let's say in the context that you are aware of or you deal with? What is a data worth fudging? Yeah, as far as I know, um, some some people who were caught in a kind of uh, uh, making up the data, um, they they found out because the results were too good. So it was not at the level of the data that uh, seemed to be random, uh, as Jekumar said, but the results were too good to be credible, and this uh, kind of led to suspicion. You see, because uh, I mean, there is only. No, I that think my question is: yeah. what data is worth fudging? Oh, what um, is worth fudging? Because I mean, it's one thing to you know give somewhat fake data and get a PhD degree; that's relatively trivial. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. let's say at the level of the society or at the mm-hmm. level of I mean, health healthcare data yeah. or whatever. What would you fudge in what context would this work at all where a pseudo random data well, there kind have of been turns scientists there you. have been scientists uh, charged of that that they were publishing uh, articles in very good uh, journals or showing fantastic results uh-huh. but the results were ultimately fake because the data never existed they they made up the data to show that their theory or their hypothesis uh, was a good one and so to gain credibility within the scientific community um, there have been scandals related to that Right, so you could look at scientific empirical data and say that this yeah. is statistically wrong in 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 context of yeah. physics or chemistry or any of the mm. others which deal with. Yeah, I mean, for example, if the hundred people tossing a coin ten times, there'll be at least one or two who will get two heads and all tails. But if everybody gets, you know, between four heads to six tails. Then there's some mistake. Then there's, you know, like in like in in school physics, we used to always know the answer, right? <laughs> we, 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 we wrote down the answer even before we performed the experiment. It's like that. Mm. And for so, for example, let's I mean, let's go to some other domain: election results or whatever. In, in, in which domain does this actually work? Like, can you look at election data? Can you look at some data and say that this is not a just election? This is not a fair election. Can you do that? See what the the fudging also happens in various other ways. Right. You know, for example, one common fudging is the inflation rate of the country. Yeah. So the National Sample Survey, uh, Survey Authority. Yeah. Does various things. Yeah. And then they put in weightage. You know, so if 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 the refrigerator is weighted a lot, and dal pulses are weighted little, yeah. then of course there's no inflation now. Yeah. But the dollar pulses have been risen more than two hundred percent in three months. So the fudging is also done in 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 economics, and then the government basically gets these things to be fudged. So so it's not just it's not just the data which you get, but how you are presenting it later. So the fudging, you know, you could get honest God data, but then you present it in a way, uh, uh, you know, which is wrong. Yeah, or the, or the, the variable the you select, indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. 
Because what was interesting about the idea of modeling is precisely that we always make some kind of categorization, idealization. So we make choices in the way that we use probability and statistics. Yeah, you bring a theory to it. Yes, yeah. It's not just plain no, observation. Exactly, yeah. It's not. Yeah, so we decide to measure, for instance, it's our choice. And so if we measure, I don't know, unemployment from the time uh, you had your last degree or from uh, for depending on how long you have been searching for a job, it may change entirely uh, how your unemployment rate fluctuates. Correct. You see? Correct. Correct. Interesting. And for example, if we go to this notion of personalized medicine, do you think something like that would work in the very long run? Could I Could I say with certainty that I mean, there would be people who can take up smoking and have no risk of cancer, right? Well, the I think the challenge is there to to see how much we can really have uh, uh, personalized uh, uh, data. I mean, what we can infer at the very individual uh, uh, level, but but mostly the question is what we, what we make out of it. It is what what is the thing that we um, communicate to the public in terms of their health. And I think people are getting the wrong message. Not that we are getting uh, kind of the the right information and the molecular level about what happens in their body but they think they are having attention as individual patients which is a totally different thing so it might well be the case that personalized medicine will make a great uh, um, advancements in understanding for each individual what is at work interesting but, yeah why don't we spend the last five ten minutes just thinking about the future um the, where do you see this uh, 200 years 500 years out jaykumar this entire notion of probability I, I are is the likely common sense going to be somewhat like yours or more like uh, not yours I, I, <laughs> yeah, a, you know what I mean yeah no I mean so what's going to happen in the future I mean I had a professor who said you know the best estimate of tomorrow's weather is today's weather <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, what does that mean uh, that means things only change gradually and uh, yeah, I mean, so the Markov process. Yeah, <laughs> the Markov process. It doesn't depend on the past that much. Yeah, but um, at all. Mm. Yeah. No, but nevertheless, I mean, I also have my own uh, theories, perhaps, uh, on yeah. why probability is being thought of so much today, as opposed to say you described it as a relatively young science. Yeah, and, uh, I think we have come to a situation where we are trying to optimize quite a lot. There is one level of optimization. That is, suppose I had enough time at my hand, mm -hmm. then I could say, oh, if I show up at the train station, you know, between one and two, I'll definitely catch the train. Yeah. yeah. Now, because I don't know precisely when the train is going to show up. Yeah. And that was the amount of time I had at hand. But now I'm a busy man. And I have to plan. And I can really you know, would not like to spend a whole hour at the train station or at least budget for a whole hour at the train station. Yeah. So now I'll have to look at probabilities. I'll have to say, can I just call up this previous station and find out when the train left there and then try to estimate more sharply when the train is going to arrive. Okay. So I need means of gathering that information that presumably technology is allowing me to Yes. Do, but also analyzing based on that what the probability of missing the train is if I were to arrive at different times at the station platform. Now, there are similar things about other resources, not just time. How much money will I have to pay if I decide to buy my sofa next year rather than this year? Yeah. So I think perhaps not at individual level, but at the level of companies and corporations, people are trying to work and try to get very precise uh, quantification of risks and opportunities. And I think probability as a theory... So is, is risk some sort of a measure of probability? Yes, it's the probability it of a failure of a certain expectation, perhaps. Right, 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 right. What's the future, Rahul? You know, I, if you understand the past, you know, over the last hundred years, this uh, probability has, you know... Studied physics, for example, you know, various physical things can now be answered through probability. Mm -hmm. Physics, computer science is more recent. I think the next challenge is biology, actually. Right. So, you know, nowadays they have all these hidden Markov models for the DNA and everything. 
I think the next challenge for, I mean, I'm on to say not only probability, but for mathematics as such, is understanding biology, understanding the DNA. And so, you know, what Federica was talking about was more from the social side. I'm talking about more from the, the biology the side. Biology side. But, you know, so what I want, would you study? What would what, what that problem be? Uh, One specific problem. So, so we, are, we are in, a, in a, basically, a, vis-a-vis the DNA, we are still at the level of Kepler. We are just collecting data. Right. So, so you know, it's, I think, you know, in somebody, there would be a Newton coming somewhere or the other who will use this data to get a law somewhere. And I think so that it's probably where uh, and probability what's and mathematics. Could, so there would be some sort of invariance at work, some sort of law. <clears throat> Some yeah, some some kind of an invariant. Some you know, understanding what is the, the DNA sequence. The DNA sequence right now is a completely a random ATGC. Sense, is it right? random? So okay, it, that's it, the whole question. Is it random? The question is that you know. So now they have these so-called hidden Markov models for it. Mm-hmm. How good they are, how bad they are. You know, people are uh, are divided about it. Okay. <clears throat> but, you know, you would probably need some new probability to be developed to understand these uh, uh, these DNA strands. But, you know, to be, again, let me just go back for a minute to our conversation. I think, you know, uh, what Jay Kumar and many mathematicians believe is that, you know, mathematics is there in the book and we just have to pluck it. Right. Right, the, the editious thing. I think probabilist, probability tells us that it's probably not platonic. Right. You know, it's we are giving the, the probability numbers. We are saying that this coin is biased. So it's much more human intervention. So for you, it's a lot more subjective. It's Yeah, I, I, you know, probability is basically bringing maths and telling maths that it's not platonic. It is ours. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, I don't know whether Federica, you agree with that or not. Oh, that's a huge debate in the philosophy of mathematics. And uh, because it's not my area, I haven't made up my mind, but I listen to the two camps, uh, the platonic and the non-platonic, with great uh, interest. And there seem to be good argument on both uh, sides, really. So, but yeah, that's probably the question, no? Yeah, indeed. What's the future, Federico? <coughs> yes, sorry, Jack. No, so I would like to address one <laughs> of the points that Rahul made about biology. Yes, I mean, you could ask what are the probabilistic models or underlying probabilistic phenomena that are leading to the DNA being what it is, the form it takes, or even human organs taking the form they take. But I think the importance is of resource. Perhaps just why why do we need a DNA? Because it needs to replicate itself. Okay, so the efficiency of replication and the cost of replication, the cost of errors. yeah. So all these things which are done at a very, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, simplistic level in today's communication networks and algorithms, etc. are, I think, fundamental to understanding biology and any system which has grown organically. Why... Has it come to be like this? Because perhaps it is either robust against changes. Uh It didn't disappear and dissipate. So it had this tendency to remain the same. And it must have something to do with its robustness against external forces. The other is that it's able to, again, the same thing that is, it's able to replicate itself, sustain, it's able to derive sustenance from the environment. And all these things have, I think, a deep computational and you're also bringing in this angle of adaptability almost. It's not in isolation. It's not in a vacuum. Yeah, it is response to stimuli. It can be evolutionary stimuli. Yeah. And I think uh, computation, while probability can model things, I think the notion of computation in the presence of uh, random um, stimuli uh, is an impo- will have an important role in understanding biology or any national f- natural phenomenon. That's very interesting. And what is your intuition, Jay Kumar? Is our DNA strands random? I mean, at least in the way you explained it, they probably are no, not. I think they did ar- arise out of some sort of random process, but mm. I don't think they are like random. I mean, if if it, they were random... It may up, have been a chancy event sometime ago. Sometime ago, yeah. but yeah. Uh, that led to a particular form of the DNA. Suppose I replaced 
my DNA by a random sequence, yeah. I don't even think it will produce a meaningful organism. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, also, I think that is... Also, 99% of our DNA we share with an ape. But that yeah. doesn't mean I'm an ape, right? Yeah. 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 Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. What's the future, Federica? Oh... Well, the future is probably we will continue um, using probability and statistics in uh, in ways that are increasingly more sophisticated as we have done. But uh, next to that, uh, I I would like to to see in the future probably more reflection on uh, what we do the probability and statistics uh, on. So. What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> that means that especially in the in the in the social domain, it matters a lot. Uh, you mean uh, there are no go areas? There are areas where probability no, shouldn't go. No, what what I mean is that uh, um, it is not because you can uh, measure whatever you want uh, that you should just measure it. You should think about what you measure and what you compute correlations across and st- and stuff like that. So the in a way, it's the easiness problem. Just because you have data, you measure it and apply probability. Yeah. So there's a lot of misapplication of probability, you think? I don't know if there is a misapplication, but on the one hand, when I look at how the the social sciences evolved uh, since the second half of the 19th century, clearly Mm. probability statistics have been key in order to to kind of develop uh, these disciplines also to be at the level of what happens at the population level. So to gather information about uh, big populations and not just uh, uh, small groups. But the people who started it out had so much thinking about uh, the theory that they had behind, not just the, the, the statistical theory, but also the theory of society. What, 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 some characteristics at the uh, social level or psychological level or demographic level mean and so on and so forth. And sometimes I have the feeling that we lost this uh, sophistication in thinking about what we are measuring, what we are computing, why are we using all this statistical machinery on data. So we are just kind of uh, computing, 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 yeah, chewing data, yeah, yeah, but we don't know exactly what we are chewing. So what? That's very interesting yeah. thought. What has been the most amazing result? You think application of probability in social sciences in the last one fifty, one seventy, two hundred years? Well, um, certainly. I mean, the smoking and lung cancer is one example, but uh, most of the. Um, this is more epidemiological example than the social science. But the social sciences and especially economics have been able to establish a lot of relation between variables at a larger scale, scale rather than at a smaller uh, scale. So I don't, I don't know whether there is one example that stand out with respect to uh, to others, uh, really. But in many in many. Uh, areas they have been able to to establish invariant relationship or a stable relationship in a, in a lot of subfields. Such, such as what? Oh, uh, one example that I that I like quite a lot, precisely because it requires a lot of theorizing uh, besides the statistics, is the relation between child mortality and the education of the mother in developing countries, mm-hmm. which is a relation that has, has found to be stable in a number of developing countries. Also, that have slightly different uh, context but they really have to think through for why the education of the mother rather than any other proxy for it was so important and is that a very high correlation yeah yeah it turns out uh, yeah in fact the reason why they they discovered that this factor uh, was so important is that uh, this could be kind of uh, represented also in in uh, in other factors, say uh, the socioeconomic status of the father or the all income of the household. I mean, but it turned out that statistically, this factor alone was explaining much more than all these other factors uh, altogether. And see? again, how do we make that leap from correlation to causation? Or you're not you're not using the word cause here. Well, I'm not using the word cause, but it is implicitly used in there. So the, the, the causation comes in once you can give some kind of theoretical explanation that uh, supports the statistical correlation. So the statistical correlation is not enough, but when you explain that a well-educated mother has an easier access to sanitary infrastructure, is more prone to understand what a nurse will say to her and all these things, 
things. There are a bunch of things when it, when it yes, comes to Yes, that are encapsulated in mother's education, you see. But unless you understand what mother's education is doing in the context, and this is not in the numbers, this is in observing directly what it means to be educated in a context that is developing rather than in developed countries, for instance. Interesting. Interesting. There's also, yes. um, I just wanted Please. to end with a story which is folklore in my institute yeah. and about this application. So at the time of independence, when there was this partition yeah. in, in Red Fort in Delhi, there were yeah. lots of refugees. Mm-hmm. Okay, And people could not go in because there were women and, and all these things. Sure. And so, so Nehru wanted to estimate how many people are there, you know, according to the blankets and food would be sent. So... You know the story, right? Yeah, so Ma- told me so Mahala Nobis, uh, who is the, fa- in, in the founder of our institute, yeah, uh, was asked by Nehru. So what Mahala Nobis did was in the Red Fort area, found out how much salt was going in. Yeah. And this is the correlation because there's, there's a very high, you know, the total amount of salt we need. In salt person. intake per person is highly stable. Exactly. And so through that could give a very good estimate of the number of refugees in and the, it doesn't matter whether you're an infant or 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 a woman or a group. Of course, it would matter. I would, sure. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, there must be little differences. But, but you know, perhaps that, social class did not matter that <coughs> much to right. the consumption. But there were lots of invariances there. Exactly. And was, and I'm sure it's the case, but that estimate was accurate. One hopes so. <laughs> <laughs> we have to make sure that no, the I, I, is not. A... I better say so, otherwise I'll be kicked out of my job. Right? <laughs> 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 Terrific! Thank you so much to all of you for making it. Thank, we look thanks. forward to having you soon again. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.